You're listening to the Trinity Ministries podcast. For more information and to support our ministry, go to www.trinityhudson.org. Today we are wrapping up our series that we've been going through over the past few weeks, The Me I Want to Be. We've been going through this in our worship services and in small groups. And that song that we just sang was really sort of a summary of this entire experience and the entire idea behind this series. That the reality is that, that usually you and I, as we go through our lives, we spend our time wearing masks. There's this me that I pretend to be. I go through life with the me that I think other people want me to be. But really, the reality is that, that Jesus Christ has called us and invited us, that God has made us to be these people. The me that I want to be is this person, not a different you, but the youiest version of you possible. I think that, that a lot of the ways that we can understand this whole series and this concept of what it is that God wants to do in us and through us is what's been described in the past as the process of uh, a sculptor creating a work of art. That a sculptor t- starts with this, this marble block, all right? And in that process of creating a sculpture, they're not trying to create something new out of that block of marble, but instead, what, what some sculptors have described the process of being is that that sculpture is already in that block of marble. And all they're doing is chiseling out and moving out all of the pieces that are superfluous, that are not a part of that work of art. And really, that is what God is doing in our lives, that he is drawing out of us this me that he's created us to be. And if it is true that there is a God who created the universe, who created you, who has done everything to redeem you and to make you flawless, then he also has something that he wants to say to us in how we live our lives, that, that our lives, that every moment and every aspect of our lives matters to him. And so let me ask you a question this morning as we think about who this God is and who he's, who he's made us to be and this me that I want to be. What if this person that God has created you to be, what if this person that Jesus Christ has called you to be in him is not necessarily a person who lives a, a more comfortable, more pleasant or an easier life, though none of those things are bad. But what if instead the purpose of him creating you and calling you into a new life in him is rather to see you be transformed, to see you reshaped, to see you filled with and then pouring out of you this incredible dynamic combination of love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control in your relationship with God, with yourself, and with the people around you as well. Well, Jesus Christ himself actually gives us a vision for what that kind of life would look like, what it means for us to live in such a way that we allow God to transform and to shape us. And it's recorded in one of the four accounts that we have of Jesus's life. It's in the Bible. It's the gospel of Mark. And in Mark chapter 8, verses 34 through 38, we find a passage, a vision for what our life can look like in Christ. And I'll be honest with you, as we go through this and as we look at this this morning, this is a vision for life that, that can be really challenging to us. 
as we think about what its implications would look like in our lives. But that as we grasp what it is that Jesus is is saying to us and what he means here, it can have a powerful impact on us. It's a statement that Jesus makes that, that at first when we hear it, it feels like a burden weighing us down. But ultimately, when we're able to grasp his vision for our lives, it can become a source of freedom for us in this process of transforming us and seeing ourselves and living as this flawless person that he has created us to be and that he's called and redeemed us to be in Christ. And so here we go. Mark chapter 8, starting at verse 34. Here's what we read, Christ's vision for our lives. He says, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself take up his cross, and follow me. Now, at any point in a, in a good, healthy relationship, there needs to be sort of a, a define the relationship conversation, where you kind of sit down and talk about where you're at and where you're going and, and, and the, the, the interpersonal dynamics there in the relationship. And it's kind of awkward, and uh, it feels kind of weird, but it's really important and really necessary for healthy relationships to have those sort of conversations. And in a sense, what we're going to be reading and thinking about today is Jesus's define the relationship conversation with us about what it looks like for us to live our lives as a follower of Christ. And it starts in that very first phrase where he says, if anyone would come after me. And in those words, Jesus is describing, is is saying, if you are going to live your life as, as my follower, if you're going to live your life as a disciple, here's what this looks like. And there's a lot of ways that that people describe discipleship, but ultimately, discipleship is this this process of living our lives more and more fully in line with Christ's, um, his values, concerns, and desires for us and for our world. And right here in these words, we see Jesus's call to us, his call to discipleship, what it looks like for us to live that sort of life. He says three things, to deny yourself, Take up your cross, follow me. And these are powerful statements for us to really consider and wrap our minds around what it is that he's calling us into, what this really looks like in our lives. Think about what he's saying here. To deny yourself. When we hear those words, there's a couple of things that we need to clarify right away. When he says deny yourself, he's not talking about some sort of of self-hatred or of depriving things for yourself. But instead, the the idea of denying yourself that Jesus is talking about is much more in line with the idea of submission, the idea of of being willing to give up the right to decide how to live, that no longer are we the final authority on what's right and how to live, our emotions and our our reason, and we don't just defer those decisions to the people around us or, or the world around us, but rather that we give that authority and that control over to God and his will for our lives. The biblical idea here behind denying yourself is that we no longer simply live simply for ourselves out of our own self-interest or self-centeredness, but rather we, we turn our hearts and we look to God and his will for our lives. And then he goes on and says, take up your cross. And the reality is that, that we know that, that for this crowd of people who are standing around Jesus, when he says these words, the majority of them are going to end up suffering and being killed because of their faith. And we also know that that for many of us, we think about people suffering and dying for their faith as something that happened, 
you know, in those first few centuries of Christianity. But the reality is that it's happened throughout the centuries. And that this past century, in this past century, the most people ever in any different time period died for their faith around the world. And I'm, I'm hoping that for, for those of us who are sitting here today, that no, one, no one's going to be in a situation like that, where they're going to have to suffer or die for their faith. But the reality is that in all of our lives, when we become a Christian, it will lead to making difficult decisions, where it may lead to some sort of setback in our life. It may mean that, that for you in your, your professional career, you may not be able to advance as quickly or as far as you might have liked because you're not willing to make sort of ethical or moral shortcuts in your career. I have a good friend who had a great business opportunity, a great job opportunity. It was going to be a a job that paid more, less travel, and actually less responsibilities. And the interview process was going along really great. And then the the final kind of interview was a, a dinner that he had with the boss and one of the other employees. And over the course of that evening, there was a number of things that the, the owner and the other employee were saying, different things that, that were being brought up and being talked about. And my friend realized that if he were to take this job, it was going to cause him to have to make all sorts of moral and ethical compromises that he wasn't willing to make. And so he, he was willing to, to give up a, a better-paying job for the sake of of living in line with his values, his principles in Christ. And for some of you, that that living in line with your values is going to cause you to to maybe even experience some setbacks or some losses in relationships where you're not willing to to compromise your values or your your morals uh, for the the sake of other people. It may mean causing us to, to sacrifice and set aside our time and our resources for the sake of others and the world around us. But in any case, whatever it is, Jesus is saying, this is not going to be a get-rich-quick scheme. There's no promises here of health, wealth, or happiness here on earth. And that's not what I'm, I'm offering you. Instead, he's being realistic about the cost that's tied to this, this following Christ. And then he says to follow me, to follow Christ. And again, this is an invitation that, that Christ makes to us to live a life that is increasingly a reflection of his own values, to be willing to serve and obey Christ. That means a realignment of our own values, that this gospel begins to change everything and how we relate to every aspect of our life. It changes the way that we relate to money, to our sexuality, to our relationships, to ethics, to how we handle our emotions, how we use our time. It shapes everything. And when we take these ideas together, to being a person who's willing to deny ourselves, take up our cross, and follow Christ, we see a picture of a person who is living all in for this mission of God that's allowing God to transform a person into this this person that he's created us to be. But if you're like me, if we're really honest with ourselves, when you start thinking about what this looks like, I don't know about you, but I find it intimidating. I find it challenging. I find it scary to think about living this sort of way and and the sacrifice and the loss that could be connected with it. I mean, these aren't the sort of things that when you come into Trinity, it doesn't say, welcome to Trinity, deny yourself, take up your cross, follow me. You do a U-turn in the parking lot and get on out of here. I mean, that wasn't in the brochure. That wasn't in the flyer, Steve. Come on, man. 
It is overwhelming. If we really take this seriously, if we think about what Jesus is saying and not see it simply as a metaphor or good advice for how to live, but, but a real picture of what Christ is calling us into. And I'm guessing that for those of you who are, who are here today who are not Christians, when you hear stuff like this, you say to yourself, you know, this is the problem with you religious people. This is the problem with you Christians. You always take things so extreme. You, take things, you can't just like mellow out a little bit and relax about this. And even for those of us who are Christians, when you hear this, when we start throwing around words like obedience and suffering and surrender, man, that's scary. It feels overwhelming. And Christ speaks to us, and he addresses those criticisms and concerns that we have directly right after he says this, right after he says, if anyone's going to follow me, you're going you're to deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. He follows that up by saying this. Whoever would save his life will lose it. That's a strange thing. That's a weird thing to say. It's like something Yoda would say. And then he goes and takes it a step further. And he, go, he says, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? And so what Jesus is saying here is that, that there is a paradoxical truth about life. And it does sound weird at first. But what, what Jesus is trying to get us to understand here is that it is possible for us to, to live in such a way that we think the path that we're on is leading us towards freedom and satisfaction and fulfillment in life, but really, it's taking us further and further away. There are, are several different approaches that we could take to life that do exactly this, that pull us away from freedom and satisfaction, ways that we try and save our life, but ultimately we lose it. First, it's possible for both Christians and non-Christians, religious people and non-religious people, to live a, a life that is functionally without God. To try and get a sense of happiness and satisfaction living without him or, or like he's not even there. And when Jesus talks about being people who gain the world, he's talking about seeking a life where our main meaning, our main purpose is achieved through things like satisfaction and achievement and comfort. And again, those are not bad things. Those are fine things to have. Those are good things to have in life. But the challenge is when those become the ultimate things, when those become the things that give you an ultimate sense of meaning and purpose and value in life. And at the same time, it's possible for us to take an entirely religious approach to life that goes that same way, to pursue a life where we are trying to, to earn God's acceptance through our good deeds. That we're trying to get God's approval through, through the way that we live our lives, through the good things that we do, the bad things we don't do, how well we follow God's rules. And the reason that both of these approaches fail, the reason that Christ talks about them as pursuits that try and save our life but that ultimately end up with us losing it, that ultimately fail, is that neither approach is able to fully satisfy us. Neither approach can, can completely make us happy or give us the acceptance and approval that our hearts really long for. I mean, think about it. The reality is that if you want to make yourself miserable in life, you should spend your life trying to make yourself happy because it never works. I mean, think for a second. Think of people, you may even know some of these people who are rich or successful or powerful and are absolutely miserable and are insufferable to be around. 
or just as cruel for those of us who, who if your pursuit of life is to get those things, to, to, to get rich, to get successful, to get powerful, and you don't get there, you end up bitter as well, don't you? Or if you try and live your life and the standard and the, the goal of your life is to earn God's acceptance and his approval through how you live, through the good things you do and the bad things you don't do, either you're going to end up falling short of that You'll fail to live up to those standards and you will be crushed by guilt. Or maybe you will live up to that sort of self-standard that you put for yourself. And chances are you'll end up living life as a self-righteous bigot who looks down on and judges and criticizes and condemns all the people around you. In either case, when Jesus Christ says that those who try to save their life will lose it, he is saying, that both those who, who try to pursue a life of ease and comfort and acceptance as their, their source of meaning and purpose in life will never find it. And at the same time, those who try and earn God's acceptance and approval by living a good moral life won't get it. In either case, we end up with a life of emptiness and dissatisfaction. We take these good things, obeying God, or these enjoyable things in life, and we make them into ultimate things that end up crushing us under their burden. <laughs> so how in the world do we find a sense of hope in the midst of what seems like this overwhelming and crushing invitation and burden from Christ in how we are to live as his people? Well, just before Jesus makes this statement to us about how we ought to live, denying ourselves, taking up a cross and following him, before that, right before that, he tells us this about himself. It says that he began to teach them, his disciples, that the Son of Man, Jesus, must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. So here's the good news for us. The good news of Christianity is that it's not about what we do for God but it's about what he has done for us. And Christ, in these words, is explaining to us what was going to happen to him, that he was going to suffer and to die for our sake, for our salvation, that he was willing to trade his perfect, sinless life for our imperfect, sin-filled lives. And so then, when we hear Jesus' statements about how we ought to live, before we read them as being an instruction for how we ought to live, the first thing we need to see in those words is they are instead a witness of how Jesus Christ himself actually did live, that he did come to earth, that he denied himself, that he didn't live according to his own will for his life, but under God's authority for his life, and that he literally took up his cross all the way up the hill to his suffering and death, that he followed his father's will, even though it meant rejection and abandonment and being crushed for our sake. That's exactly what Christ did for us. And here's why his life and his death are so significant. As we go through life, we experience different relationships. And there is a false kind of love that exists in this world. Maybe you've unfortunately experienced this before, where you've been in a relationship with a person where that person is entirely motivated to use others to fulfill their own happiness. It's, a, it's an entirely conditional relationship that exists to meet their own needs. And on the other hand, there is a, a true love, a, a love that exists where a person is willing to completely give themselves and their life for the good of others, for the, the happiness of others. It's an unconditional love. It's the kind of thing that usually we only read about in fairy tales. 
And of course, we know that here on earth, no one is actually fully capable of giving that kind of true love, which is why Jesus Christ had to come from heaven to earth to do it for us, to love us, to give himself up completely for our sake. And I'll tell you what, especially for those of you who are skeptical about Christianity or kind of on the fence right now about it, I think that this is why Christianity is actually so liberating and so freeing compared with any other way that you could live. I mean, think about your life right now. Think about where you're at right now in your life. How do you know? How do you know that you are truly valuable? Where do you get your real, true sense of value? Now, if you're like me, then oftentimes as we go through life, we get our sense of value from things like our family, our children, work, money, success, a reputation, our status by living up to some sort of good moral standard for life. But ultimately, it's never enough. These performance-based identities always crush us or leave us with loss and emptiness. And instead, Jesus Christ has come to set us free from our performance-based identities. And instead, he gives us this gift of his unconditional love for us. So the good news for us is that Christ came to live the life that we should have lived but didn't, this life of submission and obedience and surrender to God. And as a result, he was killed for it. So that now, when you and I fail to live up his, to his standard, and yet we still see him living and dying for us, it makes it possible for us to begin to, to trust him, to begin to obey him, to, to begin to allow him to transform us into this person that he's created us to be. And see, here's the full paradox that Jesus presents us with that, that sounds crazy at first. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. And what's so extraordinary and so significant about that is it, it's a, a whole mindset change. It's a whole change to, to our will and our desire and our motivation. See, now our motivation to follow Christ isn't fear of being punished, but instead it's gratitude for the grace and the love of God poured out to us, this desire to please and to live for the one who lived and died and rescued us. Ultimately, it is the freedom of discipleship. And this means that when Jesus Christ talks about denying yourself, taking up your cross, following him, when he talks about losing your life to save it, he's talking about transferring the ultimate authority in our lives from our own wisdom and our own will to God's wisdom and God's will for our lives. It's about giving up the right to determine how we're going to live and, and what's best for ourselves. It's giving up our claims of self-righteousness and instead looking to the cross in repentance and for forgiveness. About being willing to do anything that Christ calls us into. It's about living a life that is less and less self-centered and increasingly Christ-centered. Christ is saying, the way that I saved your life was through submission and surrender, sacrifice and service. And now, as my people, as my child, as my friend, I want you to respond. I want you to follow that. I want you to reflect the love that I've given to you in your relationships, with your family, at work or at school. 
as a church, in your community, in your neighborhoods, wherever you find yourself. The good news for us, the good news of the gospel is that Jesus Christ has come to live and to die and to rescue us from emptiness and longing into satisfaction and acceptance that our hearts most deeply crave, that can only be found in him, to give us a sense of value and worth that can never be taken away regardless of our successes or failures. And I love this quote. It speaks exactly to what we're talking about today and the hope that we have in Christ. Give up yourself and you will find your real self. Lose your life and you'll save it. Keep nothing back. Nothing that you have not given away will be really yours. Nothing in you that has not died will ever be raised from the dead. Look for yourself and you will find in the long run only hatred, loneliness, despair, rage, ruin, and decay. But look for Christ, and you will find him, and with him, everything else thrown in. So as we wrap up today, I just want to ask you guys a couple questions. Think about where you're at right now in life. What if, I'll say it quietly, because maybe people out there don't want to hear it. What if the point of our lives isn't just to accumulate more and more stuff and things, But instead, what if the point of our lives is to give ourselves away? What if the path that ultimately leads us towards joy and fulfillment and satisfaction isn't found in holding on to life, but instead giving it over to love and serve God and others? What if the way to to save your life is to lose it? And like I said at the beginning, what if Christ's hopes, dreams, and desires for your life, for who it is that you have been created and called by the Lord of the universe to be, isn't just to have a more comfortable or more pleasant or an easier life, but rather that he wants to transform you and to shape you and to fill your heart and then out of that to pour out into the lives of the people and the world around you, this broken and desperate and hurting world, to pour out of you love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and gentleness and faithfulness and self-control in your relationship with God, with yourself, and the people around you in a world that desperately needs that more than anything else. What if that was what life is all about? May you experience this transformational love of Christ, the one who denied himself, who took up his cross and followed his Father's will all the way to his suffering and death. May you experience that transformational love and may it allow God to do this work of reshaping your heart and reshaping you and remaking you into the person that God really has made you to be. Let's pray. Now, Father, we thank you for this incredible love. I mean, this life that you have called us into, it seems scary and intimidating and overwhelming at first. But really, when we see it first about the story of God's of your amazing love, of Christ's amazing sacrifice for our sake. It changes everything. Now instead of having to live a life of obedience, now we get to serve you, to be the person most fully that you've created us to be. Father, for some of us today, we're skeptical, and they have have doubts about you, and it's difficult for them to trust you or anyone else. 
Help them to see and experience this amazing love that you have for us. And Father, I know that there's some of us who are just kind of sleepwalking through life. That we know you're out there, but, but there's really not that experience of your power and your love. Show us your glory. Help us to experience this incredible love in your power and your presence in our lives that it will reshape us and change us and, and transform us in how we live each day as your people. Ultimately, help us to rest in this love and the sacrifice that you've made for us in sending your son to redeem us from, from brokenness, to move us from emptiness and longing into satisfaction and fulfillment in you that it would it cause us to, to rest in this love and it would change how we live each day as your people. In your amazing name we pray, amen.